Hey everyone, it's Niall from Kodu here and welcome to the MongoDB podcast. And today we're going to talk about inner source and building community. Welcome to the MongoDB podcast. I'm Shane McAllister and as ever, whether you're a regular subscriber or a brand new listener, we're glad to have you tune in and join us. In this episode, we meet Niall Meyer and we talk about inner source, which was a new term for me, but essentially Inner source is a software development strategy that applies open source practices to proprietary company code. Inner source can help establish an open source culture within an organization whilst retaining software purely for internal use. In addition to discussing inner source, we'll also hear about building communities. Niall is the founder of Kodu, a supportive community space for coders and developers that's going from strength to strength. Speaking of spaces for coders and developers, do you know that our MongoDB.local series of events has started and is coming to over 30 cities globally this year? To learn more about where and when our .local events are happening, visit mongodb.com forward slash events to find out more and perhaps join us in person at a MongoDB.local event near you. And with that, let's get on with the show. Niall, you're very welcome to the MongoDB podcast. It's great to have you. Why don't you, for our audience, introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what you do, and we'll delve a little bit into your background before we talk about the main topic of this podcast, for me anyway, is about the Kodu community that you're building. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Shane. So I am the founder of a community called Kodu. That is the, I guess, the reason we're talking and the reason we met Shane. We at a meetup that mm -hmm. I did over in MongoDB as well, and I am also the inner source leader for a company called Marsh McLennan. Kodu, and I guess the reason we're talking today is a community I'm trying to build and a platform I'm trying to build with our community to try and help connect coders to other coders and to help more people get into coding and teach people software fundamentals for free as well. We're early in that journey, but we're having a lot of fun building it up as we're going. Excellent. And it was, as you say, we met at one of the meetups we ran in the MongoDB office in Dublin, and it was fortuitous to meet you. And I appreciate me ringing your arm to get you to join the podcast with us. But I think you have a really interesting story. Before we get into the meet of Kodu, Talk to me a little bit about the day job with Marsh McLennan, because I understand part of that is Atlas is used for part of the tech stack in Marsh McLennan. Yeah, we actually have a huge push to move a lot of our stuff to Atlas because it's it's reliable. Our, our disaster recovery uh, crew love using Atlas mm -hmm. just simply because they don't have to worry about the scaling. And we, until very recently, were a very traditional on-premise okay. setup. So now that we've finally seen the light and running to cloud services and things and see that we don't have to manage everything for ourselves, we're getting a whole new world of tools and solutions that we can use that just mean our Dior team don't have to be available on the weekends. As you can imagine, if they can <laughs> Atlas and it just scales automatically and it doesn't fall over, uh, that's making them very happy. And for the audience who may not know who Marsh McLennan is, who are they and what do they do? Marsh McLennan are an insurance company that basically own a lot of other companies as well. So okay. a lot of people okay. would have heard of Mercer, Marsh, Oliver Wyman, Guy Carpenter, 
they're all companies that sit under our Marsh McLennan umbrella. So is a parent group to possibly a thousand more companies. I really can't mm-hmm. tell how many companies okay. we own at this stage. <laughs> the acquisition rate is crazy. And it's just funny to be in such a large company and not a lot of people have even heard of them as well. Even myself, yeah. up to the interview, mm-hmm. I had not heard of them until I went searching. I was like, wow, this is a really big company that I had never heard of. And your role, you mentioned inner source there at the beginning. What's the day-to-day role then for you now? Inner source is one of those new sexy buzzwords that pops mm-hmm. up in the industry mm-hmm. as we're used to when we hear things like serverless and all that kind of good stuff. It's just a marketing term to describe open source inside an enterprise environment. And wow. why that's useful for a company like Marsh McLennan is, as I alluded to, we have over a thousand companies under our umbrella, but all of those companies operate independently as well. So it's taking, say, open source strategies and applying them inside the enterprise so we can share our software among the companies and have people contribute across different business units and parts of the company to help people get exposure to things they're not normally getting exposure to, but also so they're not reinventing the wheel every single time they need to build something new. I love that approach. So you're trying to, I suppose, obviously you're doing it for complexity and cost reductions and scale if Marsh McLennan has acquired all of these other companies. And I would imagine they all came with their own systems before that acquisition. So this is a pretty tough job, I would imagine, in trying to apply that thinking, that methodology across all of these companies. Yeah, it's fun because the impact (laughs) is huge. And I guess that's what gets me excited about or why I decided that this was a role I was interested in is when I step back and I just try to think about like the scale of how many companies and how many people this impacts, it was like, oh, that's exciting. I know for a Mm -hmm. lot of people, they'd be like, I'm not touching that because if it falls (laughs) over, it's my fault. For me, it was a case of, oh, if that falls over, it's my fault. That's right. Mm -hmm. So I just decided I'll throw myself at it and see where we get as well. And it's been going pretty successfully so far. It's a slow process because you're fundamentally trying to change the culture from the ground up. Mm -hmm. than a top-down approach. Obviously, I get support from our execs and everything else. But really, you're fundamentally changing how people deliver software or even how they plan software as well. So Mm -hmm. it takes a big balance between like the technical work and then the social work and community building work to try and connect people to, to think and talk and just trust each other enough to rely on each other's software. And I think all of us that work in software companies especially large ones, will know that people always are like, my software's way better, so I won't use software mm-hmm. from another Teams. Mm-hmm. And it's really just funny that we often just install packages off the internet, no problem. But when mm. it's somebody we know, we're like, no, their software's terrible. <laughs> so we're so unbiased to the what's out in the wild, but not when it comes to people we know. And inner source was a new term to me before we were chatting How prevalent is this in other organizations, in large organizations such as Marsh McLennan? Are other companies doing this as well, too, trying to get this cross-collaboration, this open source, an internal open source movement, basically, for want of a better word? It's getting more and more popular. Mm -hmm. And I think if you just search inner source, there's a lot of free books and free resources on it and case studies and everything else. There's a great community I'm part of called the Inner Source Commons. 
Okay. And they share a ton of resources on getting started with InnerSource for your company. A lot of companies don't even have a role like mine in it where they're just mm -hmm. trying to ask people nicely to push it. So it's really cool that I get to do just full time, just keep on pushing people to build more collaborative software basically from the start and build it in a way that is open source uh, at its heart as well. So that also, like I, I think the other nice thing about inner source and working with it as well is the end goal is to actually go open source with a lot of stuff. So we're taking companies okay. that will be mm -hmm. terrified of open source traditionally. We're an insurance mm -hmm. company. Risk is not our thing. Taking that kind of steps towards open source is huge for the company as well. So we've already gotten over all the legal loopholes and everything else. So we're moving in the direction where we'll hopefully even start open sourcing things and not just inner sourcing it. And I think that kind of makes a full circle of why we call it inner source rather than open source for now. That's fascinating because I know like in the enterprise companies I've worked with before, there was a lot of reinventing the wheel uh, and it's just everybody, as you say, trusting I know what we built ourselves and this kind of distrust of other things used by other arms of the company, perhaps. And as you said, the willingness to go and download something off the Internet and use that as opposed to use something that somebody else has already made in the company. I think it's a it's probably the guts of another podcast episode to talk about this inner source movement. I think there's a there's an awful lot involved there. It's great to see part of the disaster recovery team you mentioned earlier use Atlas to what scale and when they, you said they're traditionally on premise to what scale have they been adopting it more recently? Nearly all of our new projects, and by okay. default, we suggest to new projects that they use MongoDB. So okay. Okay. we have nice. a, a tool. I did not know that. This is not yeah. a plug, but yeah, so it's great to hear. It's, it, by default, that is what we suggest people use because it gives the least amount of problems to from what we've traditionally used as well. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we are early in the journey. I think it started about six months ago on the shift to Atlas for a lot of stuff. Okay. So we have a framework internally for getting apps up and running fast and mm -hmm. to production fast. The default there right now is MongoDB, and then you have to opt out for a Postgres instance, actually. So we mm. do a few pieces, but the one we recommend right now is MongoDB. Yeah. At some point, if you're six months into that journey, we'll have you back maybe to talk a little bit more as maybe some of the better apps and the nicer apps and the ones that you can talk about maybe. Uh, yeah, that, that's always the fun part is what can we talk about with these mm. things? But I get we're getting better at that stuff as well. That's, I guess, my job is to get us to be better at opening things up and mm -hmm. being not terrified that if we talk about an app that suddenly we've lost our competitive advantage, which is... In our weird industry, it's most likely untrue because the, our secret sauce is our actuaries and all the accountants mm. and things behind mm. the scenes that come up with the statistical models for all of our thinking and everything else. So it's actually relatively easy to say like what we're building because without the people, our software is useless. I think that's always the case. The initial reaction is to protect everything, but in fact, it is the people behind the software that's the most important secret sauce, as you mentioned. I will get on to Kodu shortly, but I think the journey of how you ended up at Marsh McLennan from a community perspective is really interesting from what you described to me when we met. Tell us a little bit about how you ended up with Marsh McLennan in, in this current role for you now. Yeah, so it was a bit of a curveball. I only found out after I got the job, it was, I got the job for a reason, well, like because of my community. 
Okay. I thought it was because of my CV and background, because previously to Marshall McLennan, I was a CTO and I was a head of product and I had very senior roles. So I assumed that's what was on paper that attracted mm-hmm. them to interview me for the role. I only realized after a few months that people were shocked that I was actually technical. They thought I was just a community builder and that this would be the perfect opportunity for me to come in and build a big community. So I, I only realized they just didn't look at my CV all that much. They just <laughs> seen me making enough noise via Kodu and building communities and stuff that I actually ended up getting the job via that. So since the role was connecting companies and people, they just wanted something that could come in and start connecting people and make it making people not hate their jobs really day to day. So I was doing that because people show up to my events for free and seem to enjoy themselves. So as you've seen yourself firsthand, so they thought maybe I could replicate some of that in a piece of the business for Marsh McLennan as well. It's a fascinating path. I think sometimes people underestimate maybe the value of community building and participating in the community. I think COVID didn't help. I think that's a running theme in a lot of the podcasts I do was March 2020, the world changed dramatically, particularly for anybody who's used to being out in the community and running meetups and running events and speaking at events. And I think that we're on the slow track back to that being the norm again now, which is brilliant to see. I, for one, love love attending those type of events. And the one thing that I think people are slightly reluctant going, what's in it for me? What's What do I get out of this? And I think the way that you've demonstrated and will show with Kodu now as well too, is the serendipity, the things that you cannot measure about what you do outside of, say, your day job in the community, how you give back. We spoke about open source and that in itself is the largest community going is certainly amongst developers, everybody contributing to projects. So I think the message I'm trying to say in this rambling (laughs) intro is that I think if you're interested in a language a platform go out seek your local community if there isn't one start an event start a meetup see what you can do because it really broadens the horizons and certainly that's i seen what you've done with your own events so bringing that back full circle now kodu tell me a little bit about kodu what was the inception what's it all about and what made you get started here yeah And I'll probably bring it up, like I'll start at the start and bring it up to where we are now, because it's Mm -hmm. a pretty huge community here in Ireland now. I think it's the biggest coding community in Ireland at the moment. So that's pretty exciting. But it started originally as me going to a meetup, not feeling like I was learning and a lot of marketing heavy jargon and a lot of just discomfort when I went to a meetup. And I thought maybe I could make something that's a little bit more fun, and a little bit less taking itself seriously. And that was the start of it. I decided I would start doing two hour software workshops on whatever topic I was interested in. So anything from like service workers to Mm -hmm. I actually do think we did a MongoDB workshop way back when as well. It's about four, so four or five years ago now. And what would happen was we would have beer taps as well, very close by. So mm-hmm. it was semi-workshop, semi-drinking with everybody else as well in it. So it was a lot of fun. Like but that was that. usually that between good. like 10, 15 people. And mm-hmm. the 10 and 15 people has obviously drastically increased since then over the first couple of years of doing it. 
And it was COVID that was my launchpad, which is weirder hmm. than most people. So how does an offline community, how does that grow online? And that was just because I had gotten some nice equipment to record my meetups so that I could okay. share with afterwards. COVID hit. And I just decided, you know what? I'll do some of these online. I'll do some YouTube hmm. videos and live workshops online and invite people from other countries who wouldn't have normally been able to actually give a talk or a workshop in these events. So and there was a bit of a, a widening of the parameters of Kodu because you now, like everybody else, was forced online. So you were no longer had that physical constraint anymore. Yeah. And I basically had zero social presence online before that. I was very, I was an in-person. I still am a major proponent of saying there's nothing better than being in. So I wasn't a social media guy. I just had to become one to stay connected over COVID. And I also just wanted to share with the community. It was starting to grow a little bit right before COVID hit. And I was really sad to start seeing it just be wiped out mm -hmm. by this. So like any product person, you just have to figure out how to pivot and roll with the punches. And we went to YouTube and it seemed to grow pretty successfully because over the first couple of years of COVID, we had 10,000 subscribers mm. and I wasn't doing it all that consistently to say the least of it, but it was getting the traction that had people a little bit more excited about it. But mm -hmm. then after COVID, I didn't realize that everyone already knew about this community and was really excited to jump back in as soon as we started doing in-person events again. So what do you bring from the online space back into the in-person? And if I go to Kodu online at the moment, what do I see? What's there? How do I get involved? Yeah. So right now, like we have the platform that we're building. It's a, we have an open source platform that's the community started building probably six, seven months ago to just better represent and better teach people how to code and make a better community feel for things. Mm -hmm. So if you mm -hmm. go to kodu.co, you will find our website and you can sign up and get a free invite to our Discord, which has 1,500 developers at the moment. Then you will also get access to the writing platform that we've built as well, all open source as well, so people can go and have a look and tinker around with the technologies and mess around with it. But that is where we're at right now, but where we're trying to get that platform to be is a free education for teaching people to code for free. Quincy's free code camp, and like that as well. We just want to make information accessible to people and easy for people to pick up these new trades and tricks because I'm self-taught. So I really do feel like it's a, it's an amazing career you can get into mm -hmm. with so much free knowledge out there. And I just would like to be part of that teaching environment as well. I had it on a previous podcast with another guest about developers, I think, are akin to the musicians or the arts communities as well, insofar as we love to help each other. We love to see each other learn. We love to see each other grow. And I think of any industry, I don't see that elsewhere. You don't necessarily see the same sort of levels of support. So to see the community such as you've been building and see it grow is incredible. How much of your time is involved in managing this? And is there anybody else involved with you now? You started it, but have you got others to help you out and manage this growing community? Yes, I don't put time on it. I bet I would get shocked if I 
figured out how much time <laughs> I spend on these things. It's fun. I enjoy it. I love meeting people. I enjoy helping people. It's very rewarding. So I would say it's a part-time job on top of everything else, to be honest. But some mm -hmm. weeks, obviously, busier than others. If I'm putting on an event, it's going to be busier than not putting on an event. Or if I'm doing online workshops for people. Um, or even just contributing to the code base. So I guess it has its highs and lows for time commitments. I also have an ex-MongoDB staff that helps me out with the community. Carolina Kobo also Excellent. runs and helps me run the events here in Dublin and runs the Kodu Her cohort okay. as well. So we have the all-female cohort that we have running now as well. And that's growing because we found there wasn't a lot of women coming to our events and people can't see me on the screen. I am a developer. I am a white bearded man. <laughs> so <laughs> like I am as far from the diverse people that some people are looking for as the run of these things. Carolina yes. yeah. is Spanish. She was a technical recruiter in MongoDB and has taught herself to code over COVID mm -hmm. and started to build this phenomenal group of women inside the community as well. And now we have a lot of women showing up to the events, which in turn brings more women because they see there's a big space for them to be represented at these things as well. And I think that's really important. I think the representation is crucial to the success, the variety of people, the variety of presenters, the variety of speakers, etc. You have one really interesting, you've got a few house rules on your website, but one of the really interesting ones was give more than you take. I really like that. It, to me, sums up community. How have people taken to, when you see them come on the platform, is it the usual kind of they're lurking for a while and they're getting some help? Do you see a timeline between they start to give more after time when they've received the help that the community have given them, they're starting to give back? Yeah, I would still say about 95% of our members are lurkers. Okay. And that's mm -hmm. okay because a lot of people just want to see what's going on and they're just curious about what's being taught or what people are talking about. And I think that's a perfectly fine way of learning as well. But I think when you're going in and starting to inject yourself into places, if all you're doing is asking questions and only taking time from people as well, I think that can be a very tough barrier to break as well. But mm -hmm. usually it comes from people jump in, ask some questions, get really good help. And then the next person comes along and asks a similar-ish question. And that person will come in and turn and start going, oh, actually, I just learned about this recently. It was really helpful to me. Here's what I did, etc. And you should talk to such a person who helped me in here with this thing. Mm -hmm. So it's little things like that. I don't keep a scorecard for people in case you're panicking before you come in. It's like, that's I've done one, I've answered one question. Now I have points to ask another question. Okay. It's just okay. a general philosophy of mine that community is like gardening in a sense where you have to grow your garden to before mm -hmm. you can consume the vegetables or plants mm. from your garden. You I love that. Yeah. Yeah. If you just start taking and grabbing too early, you're just going to be eating seeds. And <laughs> if you take from it too ferociously, you're going to be left with an empty garden as well. So you have to time what you're taking to make sure that it's always plenty. So it takes patience. And I think that's the only way I could really describe it to people because everyone just wants to be a successful community builder or 
part of a community overnight and it just doesn't happen it takes a lot of patience and if you wanted to be an overnight success you would never get started or it would be all started for the wrong reasons you're obviously a platform for developers are they asking about all languages all tech or is it are you seeing niches and bubbles are you at the cusp of something becoming more viral or more prevalent and what do you generally see that surprises you on the kodu community today Let's see. I get a lot of, my mix is probably Python and JavaScript is what I get predominantly in okay. the chat. So a lot of scripting and web development languages. And I think it's just the indie hackers of the world who like to just learn by fire. And they're the people I seem to be attracting is the boot campers and those kind of people that might not have a very scientific background. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. they're still super curious and eager to learn from absolutely any resource they can. And they just see people as the other way to learn what they don't know as well. Yeah. So for me, that's the predominant kind of personality we see. Obviously, there's exceptions to all of those rules. But <laughs> the, what we mostly see is those people that are self-taught and trying to build up on it or recent graduates that are just lost. And, hey, I've got a degree. Now what do I do with it? <laughs> Which is the same for everyone when we start learning the code is I've got this knowledge. Now, how do I make it pay my bills? Exactly. And you've got this knowledge, but you keep needing to refresh and keep learning in that knowledge because the landscape is forever changing. Has the community been successful in matchmaking with anybody in terms of teaming up for projects or people getting together to build something? Well, our community platform is open source, and we have, I think, 25 or 6 con contributors from okay. the community already. So the platform uh, itself is uh, demonstrating this level of collaboration. Yeah, and we're trying to build out even a course to teach people how to contribute to open source properly. We have a beginner's project there as well, which is just markdown for people that are like so afraid of the code or that they can just learn the process in a way that's very difficult to mess up really. So we are trying to get more people into that kind of spirit of things, especially people who are struggling to get their first job and things. I think it's a very useful way to just stand out is to contribute to open mm. source. Mm -hmm. And you just don't realize how even the smallest contributions can really make you stand out above 95% of other people, because 95 or 99% of software developers I know never contribute to open source. So all of a sudden, mm. it's a really big thing to just see on somebody's profile that they're able to contribute or they've worked with mm. random strangers on the internet. So yeah. that's something yeah. I really like to push people to do. I think for me, when I'm hiring developers and have been over the years, yes, it's knowledge and it's experience, but to predominantly actually what I look for is aptitude and attitude. And I think for people contributing on open source, that shows a certain attitude towards continuous learning, collaboration, helping people out, just generally being inquisitive. I think that's what sets some developers apart too. We are an inquisitive bunch. We like to look under the hood, uh, see how things work. And there's no better under the hood than open source. Yeah. Like you can look at all of the tools that we use every day. Like I'm a JavaScript developer by trade. So mm -hmm. it's amazing that I can just go and look at how Node.js is built and mm -hmm. figure out how those tools actually hang together. And I can go in and now all of a sudden I'm learning some C++ because I don't understand what this thing means. And then mm. all of a sudden I'm like, what's this threading do? And now I have to go and learn some memory management tricks and 
all of these things that you just start to learn and understand without going and trying to learn and understand. It's like, and it turns out it's not as simple as you thought. And you go down these rabbit holes and you just come out a much more rounded engineer at the end of it all. I think it's fascinating how far things have come. I used to dabble in web development 20 odd years ago. And back then it was right click and view source was your stack overflow. Basically find a nice website, go and see how they did it. But the tools and the communities and everything that we have now is makes that collaboration, that information sharing much better. You tune into any of the large tech companies events these days, it's all AI, AI. What does the community, what do you think about AI and the essentially, we don't need developers anymore. The AI can do everything for us. Thoughts, now? Yeah, I love every other post on Twitter and LinkedIn now is <laughs> top 10 tools you're yes. missing on ChatGPT <laughs> or AI or whatever it is. It's a fantastic. I use it in my workflow. We have built it into our workflows even in my day job. Okay. So we have already figured out how to do it in a safe manner that does not leak all of our data. So mm -hmm. it's really cool. It's such a powerful tool when used right as well. I don't see it replacing people because the problem is you're probably going to need even better developers because mm. you're getting all this code and all this help and you don't know if it's true or not. And I always like to explain to people that these large language models are like a drunk uncle. They're very confident in telling you the wrong answers. <laughs> They're very confident. I'm going to quote you on that one. I'm going to use that in a presentation. <laughs> that, but that is like, you just don't know whether it's true or not. It will confidently <laughs> tell you it knows everything and it is the right thing. And until mm. you go trying mm. it, you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't yes. work. Yes. That's not how this thing goes. And it's fascinating because a lot of the time it's right but mm -hmm. it's also fascinating how confidently wrong it is as well and you just don't know if you're just pasting in pieces and you're like done that kind of works you don't mm -hmm. know whether there's security vulnerabilities you don't know whether there's any of these other issues that might pop up with it so i think it's a powerful tool to help us even start thinking it's like having a research assistant beside you the whole time mm -hmm. so that's the way i look at it is it's just powerful assistant that can just go out to the internet in a sense and just grab me information and help me kickstart a thinking process of like, how would I achieve X? And it will give me some solutions to X. And I can go and then dive in deeper into those solutions and say, what am I missing here or not missing? So it's been boosting my productivity hugely for mm -hmm. figuring out mm -hmm. how to solve problems. But the implementation details, yeah, they're a bit sporadic. They're a bit wild, especially since software moves so fast all of the mm -hmm. docs are usually based on pre-2021 i think data yes yes so i've been using it for infrastructure stuff with amazon cdk recently mm -hmm. and it's all really old versions of cdk that i'm getting so it's not right but it points me in the right direction it's like ah now i know there is something that does this thing that i'm looking for at least and then i can go okay. and look for the docs so it's laying the breadcrumbs for you. It's pulling together the numerous Google searches you would have done beforehand and laying the breadcrumbs so that you can go down and get into the nitty gritty quicker, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's a going to be a productivity tool rather than a mm. I'm sure there will be some jobs. It will people will be innovative, like no code and low code solutions that will help leverage this to make phen phenomenal setups. But as we continue to innovate, 
it won't have the answers to the new things that we build. It only has answers to the things we have done. So what do you do when you want to innovate and our Oracle suddenly doesn't have the answer? Until, of course, it becomes sentient altogether and doesn't need to have the answers to things we've already done. Yeah, but then we'll be in a human zoo and we won't be worrying about it. They'll probably keep us drugged up nicely, something like the Matrix, and we'll be fine. Just don't unplug me, please. (laughs) (laughs) So better developers, better performing developers, I do agree with that. Beware of the drunk uncle syndrome, most definitely in my uses of it to date. there's There's a few times where you're scratching your head going, really? No, I don't think that's correct. But I think it's incredibly interesting. And also, to me, it's brought the conversation about maybe developers and things to the fore because of its being in the media so much. I think in the past, everybody consumes tech all of the time. You're stuck to your laptop, you're on your phone, you're consumers of tech. We had some transition year students, which are like 16-year-old students, come into the company. And when I did a straw poll, I'd say less than 10% actually coded. And these are people whose lives are purely digital. And it'll be really interesting to see what this space holds for them back in the day. But I totally agree. I think there'll be different jobs, different roles. It's exactly the same way as I think Apple had their event yesterday. They were saying it's 15 years since the App Store. You know, the work that I did doesn't exist unless there was an app store. And so AI and everything else that's going to bring, it's just a new frontier. And we just need to figure out how to navigate through that as well, too. Yeah, and bring people on that journey as well, because Mm. that's the only thing that concerns me about all this is people are happier and happier to be ignorant of what things are doing under the hood. That does it, so why do I need to worry about it? Like, It's because you want to know whether it's true or false or if you can rely on something or all of the other things, or just so if it gets turned off that you still know how to think. (laughs) So that's the whole thing. And we're getting more and more reliant on technology as a society. So I think more and more people should be well aware of how our society is being run in general. And just thinking about this, obviously people are listening to this podcast Mm -hmm. are the people who are like, oh, in superior, I can think (laughs) motives. But like, I'm trying to get more people. And that's a big part of my community is to say, this wasn't a career for me. I was selling fine wines before I got into software. Interesting pivot. Yeah, I I definitely did a flip on where I was coming from. And I never thought I would be smart enough to get into this industry, let alone to an executive level in this industry. But, and I just, that's why I just think, it's great to give people confidence that they can learn this stuff if they're patient and curious enough as well. Mm. I think curious is the key thing. And going back to why I think developers are the same as musicians and any artists in many respects, because there's that curiosity that's always prevailing. No, And you meet the good developers. They, as you said, they don't delineate between the day job and their hobbies. It's the same thing most of the time for them. And if they're, yes, they have to do something to earn some money during the day, perhaps, but they're still using tools, using code and developing and just for their own interests, for their own knowledge and their own growth. So I think it's amazing to see communities come together around that and to foster that. As you said, since COVID, most people working remotely, working online, you can become very insular And developers, some developers are utterly introverts, some developers are extroverts, it it really depends. And I think it's almost important that we try and bring all of these people together in a scenario. So you run events 
for Kodu as well, um, and, or bring together events, how often do they happen and what sort of shape do they take? Yeah, we run them every month. We try to, but I do, mm-hmm. I would say, I, I run two meetups in Dublin. So I run the React community meetup and the Kodu meetups, and I run the Kodu meetups any months that the React meetup is not running. Okay. At the moment. So there is always an event. If you're following any of our stuff, you'll always find an event every month where you can go hang out right. and get free pizza and beer. That's mm-hmm. the main thing for people. Forget the knowledge. Oh, always We're all a good curious draw. until it yeah. says free pizza and beer. So now that's how curious I am now. So yeah, we try to do that every month. And it's fantastic. I think the online aspect as well is a way of keeping people connected between the, the sessions as well and where real friendships are made as well. I have a lot of friends I've made via the online aspect that I didn't even realize I had met in person or had not met in person. Your own Jesse Codestacker, for instance, mm. is a friend yeah, of mine. Jesse yeah. yeah, Jesse, I referred in when Carolina was recruiting in there, I referred Jesse in to, as a good candidate for yourselves in the DevRel space. And um, because we'd be forever indebted for that reference. Yeah, Jesse's great. He's, if you want to find Jesse's content, go on YouTube. Uh, he's superb. Yeah, he's phenomenal. He's a all-around great person. I got to meet him for the first time in person a few months back, and we went out and had a great time as well. So he is as humble and decent in person as he as the persona online as well. I guess because we see a glimpse of people through these videos and even episodes like this podcast, you'll only see a glimpse of somebody. So it's really nice when you get to meet somebody in the flesh afterwards and say, oh, you're just like... I thought you'd be. Sometimes that's nice. Sometimes yes. it's great to just have that picture and it's and it fits. Yeah. Yeah. It, I do think it's a balance of the in-person and then the connect, staying connected with people afterwards as well. So there's, I, I really will never be able to tell which I'm more grateful for. Having the huge online community, which is always ticking big bursts of in-person. But I guess the big bursts of person are when the friendships start to shake out and connect people as well. And when I met you at the React Native meetup, somebody came up while we were chatting with the Kodu t-shirt on and you pointed and said, ah, you got the t-shirt. I inquired as to how do you get the t-shirt? And you said, you have to write six articles. So on the Kodu website, you have an article section. It's pretty prolific. There's a number of posts each day, mostly. Tell us about that. And I love the gamification of start making your contributions. We... Developers will do anything for swag. So I think it's really good to push that out there. Tell us about the articles page on your website, because it seems, as I said, pretty prolific and a lot of content there. Yeah, we only started doing articles about 10 weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And we have about 300 articles, I think, at this stage, which is crazy. And that wasn't just due to this challenge, but I realized let's try and get people on to test the platform. We're so basic at the time now we can't you can't even upload images to the site right now it's so simple it's just a markdown editor that you can add articles to it looks shiny but the actual pieces itself are very (laughs) immature and we're working on things all the time so i knew i might have to push some people to just give it a shot or to try Mm. and kind of give me some feedback on it so i came up with the idea of mystery swag bags for people who are consistent (laughs) at writing The mystery is key. Everyone knows what's in them now, but I still call them mystery (laughs) swag bags. So we have a challenge where if you write an article a week for six weeks, Mm -hmm. I personally send you out a little swag bag. 
people can't see me on the podcast, but you'll probably see the mess of jumpers and cardboard boxes behind me here as well. That's that's the mystery swag. That's the mystery swag. I have mm-hmm. stickers and everything everywhere that I'm just like constantly filling up little bags and posting out to people as well. And it is very personalized. I don't make money off Kodu. I've mm-hmm. been losing money on Kodu for years. <laughs> I just want to incentivize people to give back to the community and teach people as they're going and give them the confidence to build stuff mm-hmm. as well. But that incentive has really worked well because it's weird seeing some people wearing these t-shirts in mm. the wild now as well. And like even you going, hey, how did he get that? I want one of those. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I'll have to write six articles. Now I know what I need to do. Tell us about the next steps or your growth plans for Kodu. Where are you off to next with this? Is it a geographical thing? In other words, go do this in other countries or... Is it building out different communities or fostering this that you can go and create a community using this platform that we're building yourselves? Yeah, there's a couple of approaches that we're tackling at the moment. We'd love to expand to different countries. Like I'd love mm-hmm. to be doing one in Spain as well. And mm-hmm. that's just because Spain is awesome and the food there and the beer there is awesome. So if I had a community there, I'd really enjoy to be tipping over there once a month. That would two, be really Two nice. of the developer relations team, Diego and Jorge in MongoDB, are based in Spain. I'm sure they'd help you out in that challenge. Yeah, especially the finding beers and tapas. I'm hoping they might be able to help me out on those kind of yeah. things. You, you wouldn't know? have to search very hard to find them in no, Spain. They're that's pretty sure. much everywhere. <laughs> that there and even India, I would love to have some cohorts as well to connect people so that is on the plans but i've realized recently that costs much more money than i'm Mm -hmm. able to personally pour into these things so right now we're in some sort of sales mode where we're going out and seeking sponsors to support us to Mm -hmm. go and connect people as well and pay for the events and speakers and things like that so that we can have it set up and running at a very consistent pace Mm -hmm. um so right now we're just trying to go back to roots and really make sure that the consistency aspect is there and okay. that it's we have the cash coming in to make sure that the community is supported in the way I think it should be anyway going forward. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the plan is get sponsors like for events and things and then just see if we can expand. And the expansion will first start here in Ireland where I hope to get more events across Ireland, not just Dublin. So I would rather see it in every corner of Ireland that we were able to do events to start. And then once we have those kind of things in place, we know we'll be able to scale it. And because it will be a small microchasm of what we do when we're in a new location and expand. Yes. So you're tried and tested and proven here before you roll out into other territories. But certainly, and we have a large community in India, in MongoDB, and it's certainly a massive challenge. The size and the scale of everything over there dwarfs. Ireland is a microcosm test bed, basically. If you're going that route to India, it's, yeah, it's a little bit different. Blow your mind. There's, yeah. there's more people on the roads in India than there are in Ireland, from what I've seen when I've been in Mumbai and Bangalore and all these places. <laughs> so it seems to be a lot more hectic than I'm used to, especially when I grew up in a village of 100 people. And mm-hmm. when you go to somewhere like India, it blows your mind with how many people can just exist. <laughs> To be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. So the call is out there for if anyone's listening to this podcast and does want to get involved in Kodu as a sponsor and to help out Niall and the team in this ambition, please do. I know we 
or we are more than we do the pizzas and beer stuff in MongoDB at the moment for you sometimes, and we're quite happy to maybe get stuck in another thing. So we'll see as well too yeah. to help you build the community. And we absolutely do sponsored content as well for teaching mm-hmm. people. Like that is a part of the strategy of building okay. out the platform and teaching as well as to create free education for people and hopefully get the companies involved who are trying to teach to, okay. to help us shape the content as well because it is open source it is community driven and i think there's no better people to learn off than the companies who are building this great tech as well Definitely. um yourselves for instance have a phenomenal education platform as well and i think it's so underutilized it blows my mind how underutilized that is as a service for people that are trying to learn mongodb and we revamped our university totally back in November, so six months ago, and we ungated it. You can jump into it without registering. Obviously, if you register, there's, you get your learning path and everything else involved too. But we wanted to reduce the barriers simply. And like that, I suppose our team, my team, the DevRel team, we spend a lot of time creating content on YouTube as well you know, for just getting out there, getting the reach across different platforms. Plus, we spend a lot of time streaming across all the various platforms, too. We suffer the same issues that everybody else in software world suffers. You want to get people confident and familiar with your products and your platforms. And you do that by doing and showing, I think, more so than... Docs are great and our docs team do a superb job, but developers are impatient and lazy. They just want to get in and get start messing with the code. So anything that we can do to help that, like that, we have a large community of our own on MongoDB.com and we try and we have a team of triage engineers in there and product managers in there helping people respond to questions quickly just to just to ease the path and get up and running most definitely. So before we leave it, I think this is an amazing arc. The fact that through your online presence, you ended up in the day job. The day job is involving getting an open source mentality within an organization, this inner source that, that you talk about. And then on top of that, Kodu, tell us a little bit before we go, if somebody's inspired by this and maybe wants to do not Kodu in another country, but maybe it might be want to start a community, what lessons do you have for them now? I gave a talk on this last week, funny enough, and I've seen ah, okay. one community pop up since, which is really Brilliant. cool. So the thing I always tell people is to just start. Okay. It's the hardest thing. Don't overthink it. This is, goes. I think this is just our engineering brains might kick in if we overanalyze. We have to have this. We have to have the fanciest everything. No, just start it. Just create a little thing. If it's two or three people that come together and to start, that's huge. That's how I started. It was just two or three people in a room having a few beers talking about tech. And mm-hmm. it's grown from there. But it took years of doing that. I think the biggest thing is to just start and put yourself out there. It won't start until you really and truly put yourself out there and commit that you're going to do this for quite a long time. Don't get too hung up on metrics and numbers and all those awful things that make us feel like we're not progressing. I've had dips in attendance and things over the years as well. And it made me question things for a while. And then I just snapped my senses. I was like, wait a minute. If even five people or even two people Mm. I'm helping out of all this and really helping through all this, it's worth it. But 
the ego in me was like, oh, no, but I, I want 100 people. I want 200 people. I want all the people. And just, who am I to demand that as well at the end of the day? I just want to be able to help somebody on their yes, journey as yeah. well. And I, you have to really go back to the core, like, why are you doing this to begin with? And if it's to have more fun and make more friends, which was it for me, mm-hmm. then just stick with making more friends and having fun. So like, just don't overcomplicate these things. <laughs> I love it. Start a community to have more friends and have more fun. I think that's the, that's probably a really good way to sign off on this. For people who want to get involved in Kodu, where do they go? Kodu.co, C-O-D-U dot C-O. That's our landing page at the moment. And you'll find us, if you sign up there, you'll get an invite to our Discord and you can connect with us. But you can connect with me, Niall Marr, M-A-H-E-R is my surname. Actually, I should probably put, spell my first name. You're Irish, so you will <laughs> know my name. Everyone outside of Ireland gets confused with my name. So Niall, N-I-A-L-L. Mm-hmm. And I always say pronounced like the river. <laughs> Does not make sense when I actually read it. I agree with everyone that's listening and says that makes no sense. But you can connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm always open to helping people as well. Whether it's community-related questions or just career questions, I just love seeing people evolve and grow. So please don't be a stranger. Connect with me and I'll happily help you. Excellent. And with that, Niall Maher, thank you very much for joining us on the MongoDB podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Ah, Thanks for having me. It was great to hear the arc of Niall's career and how his work in community led him to his current role. And from witnessing events run by Niall firsthand, I can only imagine Kodu becoming bigger and bigger. We wish him all the success with that. And if you're in Ireland, go to kodu.co and join in. And if you're not in Ireland, but are inspired by the Kodu story, reach out to Niall and who knows, perhaps you can start a Kodu community in your own country. The inner source movement is also really interesting. And I think we'll certainly have to devote a future episode to that alone. So watch this space. As ever, if you enjoy our podcast, please don't forget to subscribe and also leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. We really appreciate it. And so from me, Shane McAllister, and the rest of the podcast team, until next time, do take care and thanks for listening.